Hi, everybody. Welcome to our next stop on our journey around the world. Uh, in this uh, next series of lectures, we're going to be looking at Southeast Asia. In this lecture, we'll start off with the physical geography of the region. As you know, I always like to start off with the physical geography because it helps, it, it helps us to understand the human activities in, these, uh, in the various regions that we've been looking at. So as I said, we're going to be talking about Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is sometimes referred to as the poster child for late 20th century globalization, and we'll uh, explain what that means. Um, this region is thoroughly, has, thoroughly been has been thoroughly plugged into global capitalism. This region experienced rapid economic growth and development, development in the 1980s, only to fall victim to a bust cycle in the middle and late 1990s. And most of that was caused by the problems that occurred in Japan. If you recall, when we were talking about East Asia, Japan's bubble economy burst in the 1990s, uh, and many uh, and uh, many people weren't able to pay back their loans and so forth to the banks and things like that. And so, inve investment monies that have been uh, invested in other parts of the world, particularly in Southeast Asia, started to flow back uh, to Japan to be able to help people pay off their um, their loans, and many factories and so forth closed in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is no stranger to the outside world, having experienced colonial dominance and expansionist imperialism for many years. Uh, it's troubled not only by economic challenges, but also internal ethnic and social conflicts are part of the mix in Southeast Asia as well, as we'll see. In spite of all these challenges, the countries of this region have forged an important union, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, sometimes referred to as ASEAN, which offers great promise for promoting the self-determination of the region. And just to give you an idea of the, uh, of the stretch of this region, it stretches for more than 3,000 miles from Myanmar in the west to the island of New Guinea in the east. It's situated almost entirely in the tropics. It has, a, we often refer to this as a very fragmented area. It's fragmented, it's a fragmented transition zone or shatter belt in both a physical as well as a cultural sense. So really what we're talking about here, as you'll see, we have many, many islands in this region. Many of the Indonesia, for example, the Philippines are made up of many, many islands. So they're fragmented physically, but they're also fragmented culturally because we have lots of different cultures that have come together in this region as well that, that, uh, that we'll discover as we go through, uh, go through the lecture. So let's take a look at our uh, learning objectives for this uh, for this region of the world. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this uh, chap uh, this lecture introduces the eleven states of Southeast Asia. Uh, you will learn about the region's long association with the global economy, as I uh, indicated earlier. You will gain a deeper understanding of different types of agricultural systems and how these fit in uh, to the global economy. You will also learn about the strategic location of Southeast Asia and how this has influenced uh, the geopolitics of the region. And uh, as you can see on the screen here, we'll also explore, uh, as I mentioned, we'll explore the varied physical and, and environments of mainland as well as insular or island Southeast Asia. Uh, examine the cultural diversity of Southeast Asia as resulting from the meeting zone of other Asian cultures. That's what it's referring to as uh, the Shatter Belt. It's not only other Asian cultures, though, that we have to think about in this region. We also have to think about the influence of Islam, and we also have to think about the long, the long colonial period 
that existed in this area, so the European influence as well. Uh, we'll discuss the fluctuations of globalization on Southeast Asian economies as well. So here are our key concepts. Uh, ASEAN, as I had mentioned before, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Uh, we'll, talk, uh, we'll also uh, be talking about the Sunda Shelf, typhoons, Sweden agriculture, the Golden Triangle, transmigration, shifted, uh, shifted cultivators, primate cities, Ramayana, animism, the domino theory, the Khmer Rouge, entrepôt, crony capitalism, and Bhumiputra. Uh, so, as I mentioned, uh, setting the boundaries, we're actually talking about two subregions in this area. We talk about mainland Southeast Asia, and we talk about East insular or island Southeast Asia. Uh, Eleven countries, as I mentioned before, ten of which are in the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, and a highly vulnerable, uh, and this region is highly vulnerable to fluctuations in the global economy as well. So here's our physical geography of the region uh, that I wanted to go over first, uh, and we'll use the map uh, to go through the physical geography. And one of the things that I hope that you recognize on this map is that this is an area that is uh, very tectonically active, very tectonically active. So it also is on the uh, Pacific Ring of Fire, okay? And you can see the different plates and so forth that we have coming together here. We have the uh, Indo-Australian plate that we've seen before. We have the uh, Pacific plate. We have the Philippine plate coming together. Uh, we have the Eurasian, uh, uh, the Eura Eurasian plate up in here. So this is a very tectonically active uh, area as these plates shift and move and so forth. And we have earthquakes, we have uh, uh, volcanoes in the region uh, quite frequently. So let's uh, start our discussion of the physical environment uh, with the mainland, the mainland uh, areas. So we're really talking about the countries of Myanmar or Burma, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam uh, when we refer to uh, the mainland areas. Uh, we have mountains and lowlands that are dominated by rivers. The northern boundary are mountains. Uh, very rugged terrains assures a very sparse population. So you can see our mountain ranges here uh, in the northern part of the region. And we have, they go by several different names. Okay, uh, And this is, uh, once again, is a continuation of the Himalayan system that we've seen in other parts of the world. Uh, just to the north here, obviously, is China. Uh, the highlands and river valleys and deltas. Uh, let's look at the rivers first of all. We have the Mekong River, which is the longest river in the region. It's about 2,600 miles in length. Uh, it forms in the, uh, or the source of the Mekong is in the Tibetan Plateau, as I mentioned uh, when we talked about uh, that region of the world. And it flows through Laos, Cambodia, and then eventually into Vietnam and actually enters into uh, the Mekong Delta right in this area near Ho Chi Minh City, which uh, was formerly known as Saigon. Okay, so this is Ho Chi Minh City here. Saigon was formerly the capital of South Vietnam, uh, uh, but when uh, at the end of the Vietnam War, when this uh, area was unified, uh, the name was changed to Ho Chi Minh City. 
Uh, and then you can see this is the Mekong Delta, and, that, and then obviously this is the South China Sea as well. Uh, the Irrawaddy River is in Burma, or Myanmar if you prefer. Okay. Um, so the Irrawaddy, uh, this is the Irrawaddy right here, as you can see, and it flows into what's known as the Andaman Sea. Okay, so this is, the, and then this is the Irrawaddy Delta as well. And it's approximately 1,300 miles long. Um, we have the Red River in Vietnam, in uh, what used to be called North Vietnam, but in the northern part of Vietnam. So that would be the Red River up right up in here. This is the Red Delta. This is the Gulf of Tonkin, which we'll talk about when we talk about the geopolitics of the region as well. And the Chao Phraya River, which is in Thailand. Okay, And so that river flows. Once again, all these rivers either flow from the Tibetan Plateau or the mountain ranges to the north. Okay, so this is our Chao Freya River. Flows past Bangkok into the Gulf of Thailand. Now, the, all these rivers uh, are important, have been important for, um, um, for transportation. Canals have been built uh, for travel, uh, for travel um, and for transporting goods and so forth. And they also import, uh, uh, support large populations uh, that in most of the delta areas will be growing rice, as we'll find out. So the populations are clustered along the river valleys and in these deltas. The Karat Plateau of Thailand, which is right in this area up in here, as you can see, um, is about 500 feet in elevation. It uh, has thin and poor soils. It also experiences water shortages, and it also has low population densities right in this area here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the monsoon climate because this uh, the uh, mainland does experience um, uh, monsoon climates, much like we saw in South Asia. So, it's a, uh, as I said, it's the same process as in South Asia. We have a wet summer monsoon that runs from May to October. We have a dry winter monsoon that runs from November through April. April. Um, so, really what we've uh, eliminated there is kind of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the summer monsoon. Remember, if you recall, in South Asia, we had three distinct monsoon seasons. Here we have two. South and Southeast Asia uh, together, when, the, uh, when we talk about the two areas together, are sometimes referred to as monsoon Asia because they both experience the monsoon. Uh, we have a tropical monsoon uh, climate. Uh, the rainfall is higher on the coast and the highland areas, much like we saw in South Asia. Average rainfall is above 100 inches a year. And elsewhere uh, in, on the mainland areas, we also have substantial rainfall, uh, but it's um, reduced to about 50 inches a year. Uh, talking about the forest uh, landscape in the region, the tropical mon uh, monsoon forest uh, on the mainland the dry season means that it's less dense than, than on the moister islands. And we'll talk about the island climates in a few minutes. And the islands actually receive more rainfall than the mainland areas. So the forests on the mainland areas aren't as uh, uh, heavily wooded as they are on the uh, island areas. But they are still fairly heavily uh, wooded. And this wood has really been exploited. And what we'll find out when we look at some of the environmental problems of this region is many of these countries have almost been totally deforested. So forest cutting began in the late 1800s in this region. Uh, first of all, to convert uh, land to farmland. The British and the French cleared forests for export cultivation of crops. After World War II, 
very valuable trees were harvested uh, to be sold on global markets. So now I want to move on to what are known as the insular or island environments of Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia is really an archipelago environment. So it really is uh, an island chain environment. So for example, Indonesia, okay, you can see we have some uh, the major islands of in Indonesia. Uh, we have Java, we have Sumatra and so forth. But in total, uh, Indonesia um, has over 13,000 islands. Uh, again, it's very tectonically active. Uh, that uh, actually has created the mountain spine, as you can see, on Java, as well as on Sumatra, okay, and also on uh, some of the other outlying islands. Um, the tectonic activity uh, in 2004 created a tsunami uh, that eventually that uh, actually went across the Indian Ocean and impacted India, and also impacted many other areas uh, in this region. Uh, it has a shallow ocean because of something called the Sunda Shelf. Okay, the Sunda Shelf. So the Sunda Shelf is um, uh, right in uh, this area here. And this is actually going to be pretty important for a discussion that we uh, uh, do a little bit later on some of the differences in the uh, uh, plant life and wildlife that we see between the mainland environments and the, uh, and the island environments. Um, the Sunda Shelf actually has a very rich marine life as well, so very good for fishing. And many people do make their livelihoods doing uh, uh, fishing in this area. Uh, let's talk about the island climates. Uh, clearly, this is, these are equatorial climates. So this is the equator coming right through here. So you can see this entire region is pretty much within the tropics as I mentioned before, but the islands really kind of straddle the equator, so very tropical uh, influences in this region. Uh, the uh, monsoon climate in this uh, region is a little bit more complicated than what we would find on the mainland or in South Asia. Uh, we have the influence of the Pacific Ocean, uh, which causes typhoons, particularly on some of the islands. Sometimes the typhoons will reach the mainland, but for the most part, uh, the island areas are the uh, places that are most impa impacted. Uh, the island monsoon, both summer and winter monsoons are wet. So unlike the mainland areas where we do have a dry season, both the summer and winter monsoons are wet. The moisture affects, uh, moisture affects north or south depending on the direction of the monsoon winds. And because these are islands, so when we have winds coming out of the north, we still have uh, the winds blowing over the uh, water sources to, to create precipitation, and when we have them blowing out of the south, we have the same situation. In the north, or I'm sorry, on the on the mainland, when we have the wind blowing out of the north, they're coming from China and so forth, and so they're typically a dry wind. So I mentioned the typhoons, or in uh, North America, we refer to them as hurricanes, that bring heavy rains to the eastern part of the of this island environment. Uh, and these usually occur in August to October in this region. So the eastern parts of the island environment, so Philippines, um, part of, uh, parts of Indonesia to the east, uh, uh, really ex uh, get the brunt of these typhoons. Um, Vietnam also uh, has an impact from typhoons from time to time as they uh, come through the South China Sea and impact Vietnam.
So this equatorial influence not only influences uh, the monsoon, it also affects the temperatures uh, because there's a very little seasonal variation in the temperatures. Um, and the year-round precipitation obviously is good for uh, the tropical rainforest uh, that grows in this area. And so this area, uh, once again, this is an area uh, the forest is extraordinarily dense, and so, uh, but much of this area has also been deforested. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, climate and the environmental issues in this region. So as you can see, we have this line here that draws the line between uh, uh, mainland East Asia, or mainland Southeast Asia, and insular Southeast Asia, if you want. Uh, wanted to know what this line was on here. Okay, so I think that um, talks about the physical geography of the region. Let me move along, and, and now we'll take a quick look at some of the environmental issues. So as you can see, uh, there we have some pretty uh, devastated uh, uh, areas as far as forest goes. The purple color indicates where the forest has been destroyed. That means these areas are totally destroyed. So you can see on the island of Java, for example, the islands are almost totally gone. You can see, for example, on Sumatra, we have large areas that are totally gone. You can see on the island of Borneo, and particularly in uh, Kalimantan, uh, this, the, uh, uh, many of the forest areas are, have disappeared. And then a similar situation on the mainland as well. Um, so um, let me just uh, met, uh, look at these uh, thing, these little boxes for you. Uh, Kalimantan, severe deforestation from commercial logging. After forests are cut, uh, migrants from other Indonesian islands settle on small farming plots. However, soil depletion is a major problem, resulting in many abandoned farms and further environmental uh, deterioration. Meanwhile, forests and field burning contribute to regional smoke and pollution. And actually, uh, just recently, there's been uh, significant pollution problems in this region. It typically occurs uh, pretty much every summer uh, as uh, many of these forests are, are cleared in the region and uh, the uh, waste uh, products from the forest. Now, when people come in a log, obviously, they don't use everything. They just take the logs and then they leave so much debris. And the way they get rid of the debris, the branches and all those sorts of things uh, that they can't use is they burn them. And this causes severe smoke problems uh, for uh, Malaysia, for example. There's been a huge, um, or there's been a, a, a big uh, alert in Singapore for ex uh, uh, just recently uh, concerning the smoke. People are, uh, are encouraged to stay indoors, not to go outdoors. If they do uh, go outdoors, they have to wear masks to uh, prevent breathing in uh, the smoke. So Singapore, even up in Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia, has recently experienced some pretty devastating uh, smoke uh, coming into that city as well. Uh, as you can see in Java, forests were also cleared in most areas decades ago for rice cultivation and plantation crops. Population pressure and over-farming have resulted in serious degradation in many areas. And then up in the mountains of northern Southeast Asia, uh, once again, extensive forests are still found in the mountain regions of Burma and Laos. There, uh, there are increasingly threatened, however. Um, these are th uh, increasingly threatened, however, by commercial logging 
and to a lesser extent, Swidden cultivation that we'll be turning, talking about uh, later. So, as I mentioned, uh, we have major problems with the tropical forest in this area. Uh, commercial logging is, a, is uh, partially, well, pretty much uh, totally responsible for this, but also population pressure uh, contributes to deforestation as well. Japan was the first country to globalize the uh, world forestry in the 1960s. Uh, uh, Japanese logging firms first went to Taiwan, South Korea, and then Malaysia uh, and China uh, followed. Uh, the high cost for traditional, uh, this uh, creates a high cost for traditional indigenous peoples who uh, depend on the uh, forest and so forth for their wood and things like that. It also causes severe uh, soil erosion and floods. Reasons for cutting forests? Population growth is not a major cause. It is somewhat of a cause. Commercial uses uh, really is the major cause uh, for deforestation. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, migration then occurs to these cleared uh, areas as, as farmers uh, seek to use the land. But unfortunately, because this is tropical, tropical rainforest area, uh, the soil remains fertile for just a short period of time, and then the farms are abandoned. Many Southeast Asian countries now ban export of forest logs. Uh, countries realize that they can make more money by milling the trees internally rather than cutting and shipping raw logs. Um, international companies often co-invest in internal processing plants. Often there's a quota. Uh, so, for example, some countries... Uh, have uh, set up quotas. Uh, for example, uh, in Indonesia, exports one log for every four that are milled within the country. Uh, the rate of forestation, uh, a rate of forestation, um, is uh, uh, is not keeping up, obviously, with the deforestation in the region. Uh, the situation overall in Southeast Asia, Malaysia. Uh, leading tropical hard, hardwood export exporter in the region uh, could be totally deforested uh, within the next few years. Thailand uh, cut more than 50% of its forests from 1960 to 1980. So it too faces uh, severe issues with deforestation. Uh, then we also have Indonesia uh, had effective restrictions on forest cutting that have been neglected in recent uh, tough, uh, in recent uh, rough economic times. Now, I had mentioned the smoke and air pollution in this area. The sources of air pollution include, uh, uh, include urban smog, smoke from clearing, and uh, clearing the forest, and the burning of the residue, as I mentioned before. Additional contributors to the, uh, to the problem uh, in some years, especially when El Nino is present, El Nino makes uh, the forest uh, the forest tinder very dry. It catches on fire very fast. The peat bogs of Kalimantan uh, down in this area um, also dry uh, become dry and burn. And it, sometimes uh, they're very difficult. These fires are very difficult to put out, so they'll burn for months. Uh, the results are unhealthy air, lung cancer, pulmonary disease, uh, kills uh, uh, approximately five times. Uh, uh, the rate as we have that we have in the United States. Okay, so we've talked about deforestation. I haven't really talked about national parks. This has been a, an effort to um, actually try to conserve some of the land in the in the region. Um, 
of some of the protected areas. Indonesia especially has created national parks and protected areas. Other states has, have also uh, created protected areas. This is an attempt to preserve unique plants and wildlife. Uh, the orangutan, for example, lives only in a small portion of, of northern Sumatra and the island of Borneo. So uh, it's an effort to, um, uh, to protect the animals and the wildlife in these areas as well as the, the forest in these areas. Okay, so let's continue on with our discussion of the physical geography of, the, of this region. Um, we've talked about the climate. One of the things I want to point out here uh, is, uh, let's take, first let's take a look at the, uh, some of these images of the uh, environmental issues. Uh, we'll talk more in detail about the Karen people in a few minutes and uh, about their situation in Myanmar and Burma. Uh, but this is uh, a refugee camp in Thailand, as you can see, uh, where the Karen have fled to. Uh, this is the commercial logging that I've been talking about has led, that has uh, contributed to the deforestation in the region. Uh, this is the uh, extensive deforestation in Lusan, uh, the, uh, the island in the Philippines. And these are the burning uh, peatlands that I mentioned, uh, the peat bogs that I mentioned before. And you can see the efforts to put those fires out using aircraft. Uh, I've talked about the uh, mainland, uh, or the physical environment. We've talked about the mainland, the rugged uplands in the delta areas, and the tropical monsoon. This is the Mekong Delta in Vietnam. Now, uh, I know probably most of you are way too young to remember the Vietnam War. I actually remember it quite well. Uh, the Mekong River was actually a very important war, a very important river, and the Mekong Delta was a very important area during the Vietnam War. Um, the Mekong River was extremely important uh, for um, sending uh, troops and material into the interior of Vietnam and then eventually into Laos and Cambodia as well. Uh, so very important river. Um, and then we uh, also have the, uh, uh, if you ever have an opportunity actually, now that I think about it, uh, there was a movie made in the 1980s. Uh, concerning the Vietnam War. Actually, I think it was the first movie that actually criticized the Vietnam War. Um, um, and the name of that movie is Apocalypse Now. Um, it's kind of a fictionalized movie, but it, it does show people, uh, the troops and stuff, going up the, uh, the uh, Mekong Delta, and, or up the Mekong River and the Mekong Delta. Uh, we've also talked about the insular environments, the collection of islands, the Sunda Shelf, tectonically active, and tsunamis as well. <clears throat> so, uh, and we've also talked about the climate, so I'm not going to talk too much more about that, but you can see the various climates in this region. You can see we have the AF, the tropical wet climate, uh, throughout the island areas. Okay, so this is, this is the areas that receive rainfall, uh, substantial amounts of rainfall year-round. The only variation in the climate is really in the and uh, the temperature somewhat, or I'm sorry, the temperature remains constant year-round, uh, but the rainfall does vary a little bit uh, 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 during the year, but not much, but substantial amounts of rainfall year-round. And then you can see we have the AM climates, which is the tropical monsoon on the mainland areas. And if you recall, this is the wet uh, monsoon in the summertime, the dry monsoon in the wintertime. And then uh, we also have uh, the AW, tropical savanna climate, and the more in the interior of the area, in this area here. 
okay, the interior of the mainland. And then we also have the CWA, humid subtropical with a dry season and hot summers in this very small area right up in here in northern Vietnam around Hanoi, uh, in the Hanoi area, okay. Um, so these are our monsoon winds, as you can see, uh, blowing out of the kind of the northeast here in the uh, wintertime and blowing in from the southwest in the, in the summertime. Uh, so we have, uh, uh, the, we've talked about the carbon and greenhouse gas emissions from the variety of different sources. So one of the things that I didn't mention uh, earlier was this notion of something called the Wallace's line. Um, this area is, and, and I think I alluded to it a bit, this area is actually very, the wildlife and plant life in this area is very interesting because you find um, very different wildlife and plant life on the mainland compared to some of the island areas. And there's this, uh, if, you, the, if you recall, uh, Alfred Wallace um, was uh, the co-developer with Charles Darwin of the theory of natural selection. And uh, so um, uh, Alfred Wallace was really the person to first kind of identify these differences in wildlife and plant life between the mainland environments and the island environments. And so a line uh, was uh, uh, kind of drawn, I guess, arbitrarily through this region. It's called the Wallace Line. And it really does separate the mainland from the, uh, from the um, island environments. So the western and eastern islands have vastly different plant and animal life. Western islands such as Sumatra, Java, and Borneo have large Asian mammals such as tigers, bears, elephants, rhinoceros, rhinoceros orangutans, and uh, and so forth. Plants and birds uh, are those found on the mainland as well. So these areas have uh, the, the large islands, as I mentioned before, Sumatra, right here, Java, and Borneo, have uh, plant, and, uh, plant and wildlife very similar to the mainland. So we have the, then we have the uh, Wallace line that comes down through here that splits these areas. The, east, uh, the eastern islands, okay, this area over in here, um, the large mammals are completely absent. Animal and bird species are more like those in Australia. So uh, the, the types of animal life that you would find on here are marsupials, cockatoos, uh, arboreal, um, tree kangaroos, and things like that. Um, and as I mentioned, this was documented by Alfred Wallace. Um, so we refer to this as island biogeography, the study of distribution and the ecology of plant and plant and animal life unique to islands. Uh, the explanation for these differences uh, in the flora and fauna of this region occurred during the last ice age, about 18,000 years ago. Much of this, much of the water was frozen in glaciers and ice caps. This lowered, okay, remember we have the Sunda Shelf in here, which is a very shallow, very shallow area of, this, of the sea in this area, okay? Uh, much of the water was frozen in glaciers and ice caps. Over um, ice and, ice, ocean levels were much lower. So what happened was, because of the lower ocean levels, uh, this uh, very, uh, the land was actually exposed here. And so the mammals could migrate overland from the mainland to these islands uh, during this uh, period of time when the uh, ocean levels were very low. 
and so the islands, uh, uh, the islands of uh, Sumatra, Java, and Borneo were connected to Asia by uh, what we often refer to as a land bridge. Okay, uh, because the Sunda Shelf was uh, was actually dry land at this time period, um, and then many of these other islands are actually uh, uh, a result of tectonic activity. Uh, and split away from what is today Australia, and as they move further north, and when they split away, the wildlife and and, uh, and plant life that were on those islands obviously came with it. Okay, and so that's why they have uh, 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 wildlife and plant life that's very similar uh, to Australia. Uh, so we talked about uh, some of the natural hazards. We talked about the uh, tectonic activity. We talked about uh, uh, volcanoes and things like that. We talked about uh, cyclones, and you can see uh, this is a cyclone that uh, impacted Burma. Um, I, I'm not sure of the year this is Cyclone Nargis, uh, but this was in the 2000s, uh, I think around 2006 or 2008, something like that. Okay, so that's a look at our um, population and settlement geography. So that's where I'm going to finish up on this. Uh, I'm sorry, our look at the physical geography. So that's where I'm going to finish up on this lecture. And when we come back, we'll take a look at the population geography as well as the settlement geography. And then we'll uh, look at the cultural geography as well in our second lecture on Southeast Asia.